Self-isolation orders and widespread lockdowns have seen gaming sales surge. Industry websites say 2.7 million online games were downloaded during just one week in March and physical sales jumped too. Game sales went up 82% week on week, um, so that was a pretty big jump as well. Um, it looks like console sales were up by, gosh, that's 155%. That is, uh, that is a lot of consoles sold. I have a confession. Till six months back, I did not know what Roblox did. When I first interacted with the good folks at Roblox, I sheepishly broached a topic. What is your area of business? I immediately got a nonchalant answer. Well, why don't you ask your kids about it? Hmm, okay. I did ask my 15-year-old son about it. So what does Roblox do? My son gave me a judging stare and asked me that question. You don't know about Roblox? Needless to say, I am in a better shape in terms of my knowledge about this humongously successful online gaming company. When pandemic started and kids and elders got their unexpected stay-at-home orders. Many of them jumped onto Roblox platform for entertainment, making them one of the rare businesses who experienced abnormal growth and usage of their products during these unusual times. While the growth is always good, IT practitioners at Roblox did encounter a challenge in managing their infrastructure and security due to this unplanned spike in usage. Fortunately, Roblox has been blessed with some of the smartest folks in the field of security. Not only they have been early adopters of shifting left of security, they also have reaped the fruits of that approach by deftly navigating through COVID world of 2020. To discuss this and more, I have with me Julie Sai, Head of Application Security at Roblox. She has been instrumental for the cause of moving security to the left at Roblox. You're listening to Sources and Sinks. This is your host, Alok. Hello, Julie. How do you practice this entire concept of moving security to the left, or as we call it, shift left? Well, it comes back to the idea that security can only be done uh, in its uh, most efficient and most pure form when you're doing it at the root. So it comes, it comes back to understanding that it has to get into the hearts and minds of all of your practitioners at the company in terms of engineers, as well as just people in their day-to-day -day actions, and inserting that mindset into how do I incorporate a secure way of thinking at every step in the process, from product inception to design and architecture to when do we actually discover that there are vulnerabilities in code and being able to fix it quickly. Hmm. So what are your KPIs 
to judge the success of this process of moving security to the left? I would look at two important metrics. And these things are usually tend to be work in progress uh, for, for every company, but uh, you know, depending on the level of visibility and telemetry you have. I would look at the overall number of uh, security issues that you're having, whether they are active incidents or uh, potential vulnerabilities. And then secondly, I would look at the level of visibility coverage that you have. There's a concept of, um, you know, when programs are first bootstrapping of the innocence, you know, groups that are sort of blissfully, blissfully ignorant of what is underneath the covers. But as you get uh, deeper in terms of your understanding of your stack and your, your entire operations, you might see something in an increase in issues and remediations because now you have more knowledge. As you start coming around that curve, improving your practices, moving the thinking and the, the culture into a more embedded place, you should see an improvement in the overall number of issues, as well as an increasing understanding of, of yourself, of the knowledge of the company. Okay. So now, in terms of shifting left of security, uh, static analysis of code is coming across as a prominent choice of tool for empowering developers. Why do you think that is the case? I think that there's a, a two major components to it. One is the obvious aspect of coverage. You can't really know or manage things that you don't, um, that you're not aware of. You may unintentionally create good outcomes or bad outcomes, but unless you know, it's not intentional. Um, I think the second piece to it is the control. If developers have the capability to know as they're, as they're programming, as they're typing, or the early, at the earliest stage in the process possible, they have more capability of in, internalizing that knowledge as well as correcting it up front. So I think that's a major reason that, you're, that static analysis and source code analysis matters. Okay. So let's move to a different topic. Uh, I think uh, what I've understood so far in my conversations with you that uh, you have a very uh, nuanced view on managing the relationship between the blue teams and the red teams, as in the case of how we manage the security. So how do you manage the security games uh, these two teams play for optimizing security? In earlier stage companies, you have the luxury of it being all in the same mind. You have effectively purple teams. They're not necessarily organized into um, the, functional, the functional silos of red team and blue team. People are both in the business of creating and detecting issues um, throughout your org as well as fixing them. As an organization starts to get more, uh, more efficient and deeper to a set to an extent that not any one single person or any one single team can understand the full stack. It's essential to have a, to have a very uh, intentional and proficient offensive security endeavor as well as the blue team defensive work. In that case, I would say that it's important that the leaders of both functions be very well aligned both in values as well as how things are going to happen. And there needs to be a very deep level of trust in order to have that uh, operate at the level that you want it to. Um, in some organizations, there is a there is a positive competitive mindset in terms of you know each team, the offensive and the defensive security are going to do their best and then let it play out. 
and let the execs determine where it lands. I think that though there is probably a positive competition aspect to it, it may not always be the strongest for building trust or for efficiency. Back to the concept of shifting left as opposed to having to externalize things very, very late downstream. You want to get your inputs as early as possible so that people can both fix the problems as well as get it into their mindset. In a perfect world, you have every technical and every, um, every person in your business operations has a portion of their, their brains and their portfolios uh, thinking about security. And then it becomes less essential to have very heavy structures outside to control. Um, but depending on your company, there may, be, there may be different paths to how to best achieve, uh, achieve success here. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So on the same topic and slightly extending it, I recently had a chance to record a podcast with uh, Shannon Litz of Intuit. She talks a lot about adversary management as a stance for security. So what's your take on managing an adversary that knows a lot about you? How do you deal with such an adversary in terms of your security strategy? Yes, I think that um, you have to take that same mindset of there's, if you have a committed, intentional, and skilled adversary who is studying you and understands your workloads and how you operate, you must bring the same level of knowledge to your own internal testing. It needs to be rigorous. So you need to bring in your own mindset of the people that you know in the org that understand how things work the best, where the corner cases are, where the vulnerabilities are, and have them collaborate on establishing your offensive security, um, your offensive security test. In that way, you're using your own self-knowledge to your advantage in that way. That is absolutely true that if um, you know, there is a committed and intentional adversary, you must be equally committed and intentional internally or more. Okay. And this is my final question. There has been an observed increase in number of female participants in the security industry, both at leadership level as well as uh, on the frontline level. In both of the cases, there is a very healthy increase in diversity. Of course, there's a long way to go. My question to you is what's your take on that and which are the female security leaders that you admire and could be role models for upcoming talents? Absolutely. While we are seeing a somewhat of an uptick in some of the entry um, and the entry level, as well as along through the ranks in terms of people's progression, the overall per- proportion or percentage in the security field, as well as um, technical operations, still continues to be fairly lopsided. For a lot of reasons, there's a huge benefit to adding diversity in terms of the ways of thinking and the styles of doing things into a company, you get a lot more creativity and a lot more, uh, a lot more building of that, um, building of that balance of empathy and reason that's essential for the good functioning of the team. Um, I think that these upticks are encouraging, but there's what we've seen over the years. I think is that sometimes there will be a bit of an uptick and then a little bit of a sliding back and. Um, I think it's going to be a, I think it's going to be a committed progression issue for us as a society to really value everyone's contributions, no matter their gender, to really value how they're contributing and know that there is something essential that we're missing if we lose out on that. 
When I look at other leaders in the industry that I really admire, um, those include uh, Shannon Leitz, who, um, who's leading the Red Team over at Intuit, uh, Carolyn Wong, who does a lot of great things for security, um, security evangelism and metrics uh, in her role over at Cobalt. Um, I would also recommend that when people look at look for mentors or for role models in their career path, to think outside the box a little bit. Um, I have a great deal of admiration for um, Michelle Dennedy, who's done a lot in the privacy engineering and uh, awareness space. Uh, there is a tremendous amount to be learned from people in other industries as well. I look at um, I look at some of the folks who've been working in uh, as you know non traditional non traditional candidates in leadership levels like uh, Melody Hobson who works in the finance industry or mm -hmm. um, you know even even leaders who just have a different style of doing things. You know I look at examples of um, people in the industry who are introverted, but also great leaders. Um, and that's across the, across the gender spectrum as well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Actually, thanks, Julie, for your time on the podcast. You really had some great insights, and I'm sure the listeners of this podcast would absolutely appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you for having me here. 